Hello, interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. I've never seen Invincible and have only the vaguest idea of what it's about. Can Ryan convince you or I to give it a shot? We'll try not to spoil it. If he does, I'll be pissed, so you should be pissed at him too. Anyway, from this extreme long shot, we zoom into our medium shot. Before we start, I'll just tell you up front here, I do plan to watch Invincible at some point, but Ryan can still convince you, or maybe unconvince me if he's very bad at it. Anyway, uh, my brief history with Invincible is I'm familiar that it's based on a, uh, on a popular run of comics that's it's not DC, it's not Marvel, it's one of those rare other superhero stories that gets pretty successful. Um, I've heard it's a good adaptation from at least the first season that's out right now. Um, it seems a little bit more violent than, like, gory than the typical uh, superhero thing. I don't, I don't really know much. Um, uh, I've had a couple, one big thing spoiled for me in particular, but I don't know if that's it, uh, which we'll, I'll, I'll ask more about later. And um, yeah, I uh, I don't really I don't really know much else except I'm maybe a little bit worried that it's been overhyped, if anything, and that when I see it, I'll just be like, oh. Okay, well that that was fine, I guess. That's the biggest. Well, you don't have faith. You don't have faith in the internet anymore. <laughs> it's not. It's not faith in the internet. It's just everyone said for so long how good this show is and how desperately I need to watch it that I I might just be disappointed because I built it up too much in my own head. I I don't know if it's one of those things that'll actually live up, or if it's just been, or if I'm gonna build it up too much because sometimes there's that sweet spot. You build it up just mm -hmm. enough, and then it's just as amazing as you think it is. And then sometimes you, like, imagine it's the best thing ever, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's okay, I guess. And then all the Invincible fans come down on me for the rest of my internet criticism career, and they're like, what do you mean you didn't like Invincible? No, no, hear me out. I liked it. It's just not as good as everybody said. How dare you? We'll see. Uh, let's get into our close-up and give me your elevator pitch, and we'll get some questions. I honestly don't think you could hate this show, whether it's overhyped or underhyped. It's funny when you talk about overhyping or underhyping, when you told me to watch Vox Machina, which is a great show, you very much undersold it so hard. So mm. that made it very, and I don't know if you did that on purpose, but that made the show even better in my eyes. But this is a show you have to overhype, man. All right? Okay. So... It came out, I want to say, 2021, right? A couple years ago, yeah. Right, right in the slap, slap middle of the, of the pandemic. You know, our favorite time of the year. Post uh, Zack Snyder, Justice League. Mm -hmm. Post Endgame. Uh, right before No Way Home, so everybody didn't know how, what was going to happen to the MCU and what is still happening to the MCU. And it hit that sweet spot so well. Are you tired of the Marvel formula? Are you tired yes. of no formula in the DC? Yes. Well, then this show is perfect for you because it takes those blends of different ideas and formulates them and puts them into this giant, bloody mess of a show. It's not just about superheroes being the absolute crap out of each other until they're absolutely just blood and guts. I mean, there are points in the show where it's like that, and it's freaking awesome. Because it adds some realistic takes to, hey, what if you did have this giant battle cat with a giant mace from a different planet fight this teenager from Earth? He'd probably get squashed to shit. Uh, what would happen if you had this Superman-like being fighting off against these couple of aliens who are transported uh, from a different planet onto Earth? And he gets pissed, and he probably could wipe them all out. These are just scenarios that I'm popping off the top of my head. But hey. It takes the realistic approach, as realistic as you can, with superheroes. And uh, I want to say, it is the same creator, it's Robert Kirkman, uh, Kirkman, excuse me. So it's the same creator from the Walking Dead comic books as well. And he also helped produce this show. And this show, its cast is stacked. Steven Yoon plays Invincible. 
J.K. Simmons plays his dad, Omni-Man. Uh, Jillian Jacobs plays Adam Eve. Uh, Carrie Payton plays Black Samson. Mark Hamill's in it. Zeph Rogan's in it. Zachary Quinto. Gary Delise is in it. Sandra Oh. John Hamm. I could go on for fucking days with how stacked this cast is. But the real important factor in the casting here is definitely Sandra Oh, Stephen Yeun, and J.K. Simmons. Because they all work as this family. This superhero family. They kind of, they're called the Viltrumites, right? And they're basically a copy of Superman. Uh, and... Just a quick little pitch without spoilers, because it's so fucking hard, even though the whole premise of the show happens in the first episode, but I want you to have that shock factor. Where you have these Superman-like beings, how do you deal with them on Earth? Why are they here? And it's not just about these superheroes on this Earth fighting each other, fighting random bad guys, but it's also about a story of a father and son connecting, uh, on which they haven't been able to do before. And overall trying to find the, the child's purpose in life. You know, he, he's still dealing with being a teenager in high school. He has a girlfriend who a lot of people don't like in the show, but that's okay. She's, he wants to please her, but he also has, to, has this superhero responsibility. It's basically Spider-Man as Spider-Man was Superman. And uh, it's not just about that too. There's even one-off episodes uh in this show that aren't filler at all invincible's in them and it helps build his character growth and builds his uh resume when he's saving or fighting people and it's just really fun little short stories that help expand the universe where it feels like it could rival the dce universe or uh the marvel universe just because of how much is put into this uh universe here in the invincible universe i don't know what it's technically called i'm just going to call it the invincible universe and the so there's that there's the whole world pitch but the acting is phenomenal the writing is incredible the fight scenes even with how low budget the animation is and you can tell with some scenes you're into it because of the spectacle and what they're able to pull off with such little of 2d animation and it's not like in well actually it is in like vox machina but that one is more crowdfunded and i think got a little bit more I would say that had like a little bit more money or put into it because of it's 22 minutes, whereas in uh, per episode, whereas in Invincible, it's almost an hour each. Mm -hmm. So a lot of uh, pencil mileage, as they call it in the business, put into the Invincible franchise. And there, honestly, I can't say much without spoiling stuff, but there's so much stakes with each new character. There's so many fun little characters, too, that you'd be like, Oh, that's obviously an homage to uh, Hellboy. Oh, that's obviously an homage to Wonder Woman. That's obviously an homage to Batman. All these little, nice little tricks here and there, but they make them their own. And it's really, really fun to watch. Just watching superheroes actually beat the shit out of each other. And yes, some say it's a little violent, but that's what we needed, all right? That's what the superhero genre needs. It needs something fresh. It needed something new. And I think Invincible as a TV show, and as a comic book, honestly, delivered on that. All right. Well, first question here. I don't know if, it's, uh, if, this, is a, if this is a bad question or if this is going to be a joke, but uh, I told Justin we were doing this episode, and he wanted me to ask you, why is he called Invincible? Because he is almost invincible. Oh. He is from the planet, he is half human, half Viltrumite, and basically that just means he's able to take a punch a thousand times better than anybody is, and he's near invincible. So that is why he's called Invincible. There's actually a sweet scene where his dad actually gives him the idea for the name, but uh, that's basically it. Okay, so it's, there's not a lot of deeper meaning to the name, it's just he can take a punch real good. Uh, not yet. Okay. Yeah, I just wondered if it was maybe like, um... Mm -hmm. Or if it, it was like a joke thing or something, or if it was... No, uh, no joke. I'm like, okay, no, it's just literal. Okay. All right, no problem. Yeah, it's basically literal, but there's also this sweet scene where his dad... I haven't rewatched it in a while. I am currently rewatching it right now. Uh, or will be soon. 
But I remember there's this sweet scene where um, his dad, who was training him on being a superhero, gives him the idea of the Invincible name. Okay, sure. So, um, his name is Mark Grayson, right? I've heard that somewhere. Okay, so uh, what's Mark's power set? He can fly. He has super strength. He's basically Superman. Fly, super strength, no heat ray vision, honestly. Uh, he can, again, he can take a punch like a man, not like a man, sorry, <laughs> like, like nobody, like, like a nobody Superman, <laughs> like a Superman. Um, he, he can, he's really fast. Uh, just soup, just, he's just an absolute unit. That's what I would describe him as. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think he he can yet use, he can breathe in space for, well, technically he can't, he can just holds his breath for a really long time. That's kind of a funny gag in the show. But, uh, yeah, that's basically it. He, and it's not that he has impenetrable skin. It's just he has, he has this Viltrumite cells, which is a thousand times tougher than human cells. Yeah, so it's kind of like Superman. If he gets hit real hard, in, like, he can still be hurt. It just takes a lot more to yeah. hurt him. Oh, it still hurts him, yeah. Yeah. But. Oh, so, like, if he just took a regular punch, it'd hurt him too? He just wouldn't. Like Probably not a regular punch, no. Not okay. a regular punch. But he can take like a hard punch and be like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, but do, like, does it... Like, I'm just drawing the line here between no, hurting him damage and, and damaging... No. Like, like no, hurting and damaging. damage him. Okay. No. Yeah. Well, Depends I mean, like, who's hitting just, him. Right. Right. But I just mean like, would a regular punch hurt him? Not damage no. him, but okay. Doesn't even feel it. Got it. Which is really, now that I think about it, just a question about most superheroes. Like, right. what does invulnerability do? Do the skin nerves on your skin still work? Do you still fail the hit? Obviously. And we're not even talking psychological damage. <laughs> Talk about psychological over time. <laughs> Talk about psychological damage. Does he have does he take psychological damage? Uh yes, but that's a huge spoiler. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to tell you why. <laughs> Alright. I have heard a plot spoiler, but it's probably that one mm-hmm. from the first episode that you yep. that you referenced. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. For the people who don't know, I'm not going to get into it, obviously, but I, th- I think I know what you're talking about. And just yeah. for your own head, that's basically all I know about it. But I was wondering Good. if there is, um, besides that one, is there any other big twists in this show or is it basic is that like the huge one or is it just they reveal it and everything is just kind there's of there's other twists there's other twists going along yeah it's not just I'll a say yeah oh we threw our best one out front and um no no okay so there is more no. to it because i was just wondering for the longest time i thought that was like the big twist of the show and i was so pissed that i got that spoiled for me mm-hmm. and um yeah, that's just been what I've been wanting to know. I'm like, well, is that the big twist, or is there actually more in store for me if I watch this thing? How is more? No, nothing else. Okay, good, good. I just don't want to have been ruined on the whole thing. I know, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, because I like, well, as soon I, as that came out, that was spoiled everywhere. Yeah, that's probably why I saw clips online. I don't even remember mm-hmm. where now. It may have been in reviews. I didn't mean to see, or just <laughs> scrolling through the feed. You know how that happens people reacting to it like oh god (laughs) yeah yeah i have no idea where i even saw the problem but um so you were just talking about comedy uh, a little bit here i was wondering how this show balances the dramatic elements with the comedy what tone does it take a little bit more than the other uh i will say the first Maybe first half of the season, it's more comedy focused. Okay. And then it, you start to see drama be put into little spots throughout the show because events that happen in episode one, there's a buildup in, okay, why did this happen? Who did this? And you see the drama slowly, slowly, slowly build up and it all accumulates into this epic finale where it's this huge drama focused finale and there's still comedy in it. Uh, but I think it balances the tones really, really well. Okay. Yeah, I think that's... It's usually a good choice to start a show with comedy. 
because mm-hmm. comedy is more endearing. It connects us with people a bit more than everyone spilling their tragic backstories up front. Yeah. So, yeah. And I then, think, honest, like, the very first interaction in the show is this uh, stepfather's like, I gotta take my stepkid to England, uh, but I think he hates me. And he's guarding the White House. It's just this random comment, but it's like, it's so funny. I see. see. Yeah, because the comedy tends to endear us to people enough that we care when the drama starts going down. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that sounds promising enough. And uh, as for the drama, well, let's talk about both tones a little bit more. First, does the comedy land? Like, is it actually? Oh, yeah. It goes for a light tone, but is it funny? Yeah, I would say it's funny. I I would say there's rarely, there's rarely like laugh out loud moments, mm-hmm. but there are some like uh, just really funny, smart dialogue, uh, dialogue uh, written scenes where someone will say a line, and be like, "Huh, that's funny." But I wouldn't say it goes so over the top where you're like laughing on the floor, crying, because I think this show. The most emotion it wants to get out of you is, what the fuck? That's the one it's going after. And I think it does that really, really well. I keep saying really, really well, and my English teacher would kill me if <laughs> they heard this, but I need to stop that. You never notice the words you repeat over and over until you listen back on the podcast, and you're like, why did mm-hmm. I say that? So would you call the, this funny dialogue quippy? Because I'm sick of quips. No. Good. No, it's not quippy. It's very mm-hmm. natural. Uh, in the scene and there are you can actually hear it's not like a whew thank glad that didn't happen like look over to the camera that type of quips it's natural funny dialogue there's this great little and there's also subtle dialogue too where uh, a villain's trying to get invincible's attention so he paints his name across the roof but his name's so long that he runs out of paint so it go, it's just invinsa and there's a little dialogue scene about that, and that's really funny. <laughs> and uh, so you said the so the comedy's funny, but does the drama actually deliver as well? You said it's, yes. it's really going for it, but okay. Oh, it, it goes for it. It goes for it hard, and I can't tell you why. But I just need to know if it know. works. Oh, it works. Okay, good. It had people crying. It had people laugh, cry, but it had people cry most of the time. Okay, good to know. Good to know. I'll uh, pack a box of tissues for this show. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, I know I hear a lot of talk about the the father and son dynamic on this show, but what about his mother? Is she actually important too, or is it mostly oh, just yeah. focused on the father and son? Okay, she's important. She's not a uh, superhero whatsoever, but she's definitely the bedrock of the family. Where both Omni Man and Invincible go to her for some just advice or whenever uh, they need to talk about something. And also, um, I need to know the character's name. Debbie. Debbie, uh, again, it's been a while since I've seen the show. She yeah. is, she takes no shit, all right? Uh, and she's played by Sandra O oh of, you know, Grey's Anatomy fame, which everybody knows she takes no bullshit, and she brings that into this show as well. And she, she is basically like, hey, I know this thing's happening. Don't fucking lie to me. Uh, especially with the secret government, the secret superhero government that's in there is like, what the fuck you doing in my house? I don't want you here. I don't care if yada yada is doing whatever. Like she takes no shit and she's in a, she's an amazing character. She's not a, like a one-off like, oh, here's the mother and we don't see her for four episodes. She's basically in every single one and she does some investigation of her own. So back up a few seconds about sup- secret superhero government. Tell me more about that. that sounds interesting. Uh, so I don't know how, if I'm being honest, I don't know how secret they are, but I just know it is led by this one dude, da 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 da, Cecil, played by Walter, uh, Walton Goggins, uh, and he's basically the head of this superhero, um, group that, he's not a superhero whatsoever, uh, it's not like in The Boys where it's like the Seven, but he's basically, okay, if these superheroes get hurt, they come to this facility, they get healed up here, but also they help run the Guardians of the Globe as well, saying, hey, this attack's happening here, go send them off over there. And the Guardians of the Globe are basically this pseudo-Justice League. This, uh, that's basically what they are. And, uh, 
They okay, so they're, so they're like th- so they're like Shield or Argus or yeah, like one of those. Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah, just like that. The in betweens for the heroes and mm. the government, but they have a lot more. I would say they are a mixture of Shield and a tiny bit of Hydra. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Not the type of Hydra where they hijack helicarriers, but... <laughs> a little more subtle than that, yeah. A little more subtle. A little more okay. subtle than 33% of the company... I don't care. It's, this is not an attack on Winter Soldier. Anyway. It was, cool. <clears throat> it was a cool twist at the time, but they didn't do it's much more It's a cool twist, yeah. <laughs> Alright, so you said this is... Um, the episodes are largely... I got the impression you said they were largely one-offs. Uh, like our like contained or is it um, is the individual self-contained episode more important or is it the overarching story? What's more focus on? So it's show? sort of it's sort of a mixture of both, where there is an overarching narrative throughout each episode, mm-hmm. uh, but each episode puts Mark, uh, who is invincible, Mark's his real name. Sorry, Mark, uh, puts him on his own little adventure. Like, there's this one uh, episode where he has to escort these astronauts to Mars on their mission because Omni-Man doesn't want to do it. And, uh, but they're still, they still cut back to the overarching narrative of, hey, what happened in episode one? Um, there's this, there's this really great fifth episode where it's this, uh, guy who is, um, his name's Titan. He's played by, uh, uh, Kari Payton, um cyborg from teen titans oh and he is trying to take down this head of this uh crime organization that has power over him and invincible helps him out there too and that's a really nice one-off story but then it still connects to the overarching narrative because of events that happened in episode one they need to ah that's a spoiler but uh (laughs) (laughs) they need to fix that and there's an overarching narrative that happens there so it's kind of a mixture of both, but they're not afraid to have their own little adventure in the episode. For instance, Mark is visiting a college with his girlfriend and his best friend because his best friend is visiting a friend who they're in a relationship with, uh, who's gay, by the way. I just want to throw that out there because it's it's good representation. It's not treated as a joke. He's just gay and he's actually a really fun character. Mm-hmm. And uh, events happen there where it's really like, what the fuck? But it's really interesting, fun comic book ideas that, holy crap, there's this crazy guy running around campus doing some shit, which I don't want to spoil because it's actually fucking insane of what happens in that episode. All right, yeah. But even events that happen in that episode, when they go back, there are choices that are made in that episode that affect the characters and um, affect their relationship with each other. So it's it's done really well. It's not like Star Trek from the 60s, and it's not like, uh, Every say, show a show now? now like Loki. Yeah, where <laughs> there's an overarching narrative for six episodes. It's kind of a mixture of both. All right, yeah. So uh, speaking of the supporting cast, what about them? Are they, are they good on the whole? Are they, um, mm-hmm. some of them feel superfluous to the story? They're just kind of there, or... Some of them are maybe more there to set up further yeah. plot lines. How well used is the supporting cast this season? So the supporting cast is used uh, very well, especially with uh, Zachary Levi's character. Zachary, Le- not Zachary Levi. Uh, Zachary Quinto, right? Yeah, Quinto. Yep. Different Zachary. Uh, who plays Robot. He kind of has his own little side story as well. And uh, he's a member of kind of this B team of Guardians of the Globe. And this is where most of the comedy comes from, especially with one of the characters. I think his name is Ralphie. Uh, oh, God. Rex. I think, yes. yeah, Rex. Rex Splode is his name. Yeah, because okay. Explode. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that, most of the comedy comes from him. And you keep going back to this team because they have to sort of buff themselves up to help out uh, the world. Uh, so most of the comedy comes from rex and this sort of b team here and they have to sort of work together and as mark begins to grow uh so does this b team of guardians of the globe but then there's also this very interesting side story with robot and who created him and his whole um his whole ambition his whole arc so it's not 
every single character is, you know, vastly explored upon. But the ones where you would be interested in are, uh, do get a little bit of a story as well. Like the, um, like the, one of the love interests Jillian Jacob plays, uh, plays, um, Samantha Eve. And I think her super, superhero name is Adam Eve. Mm. Where it's not biblical whatsoever, she can literally control atoms out of the sky. Like, just, anyway, okay. she can create anything. She uses it more, like, telepathically, but she has been known to, like, her dad is walking towards her very angrily, and she just turns the door into the wall. It's really mm-hmm. funny. And she has her own story of, like, hey, I don't want to be, I don't want to go to college anymore. I, I like being a superhero, and, yeah, it's kind of... And it's not explored too much. It's only a few little scenes, but it just goes to show that she really enjoys helping people. She really enjoys being the superhero and is not afraid to embrace that part in herself. So the side, some side characters get a lot of development and some are not treated as jokes, but are used more so for the comedy. But They're the main focus note. is on, yeah, the main focus is on Invincible and Omni-Man. So you were saying uh, that Mark works a lot with this B team of, uh, what mm-hmm. you call them, Guardians of the Globe. So yep. is Mark, so is Mark work more with this team in the, uh, are they kind of like a Teen Titans sort of deal, like spinoffs, or is he more like Omni-Man's sidekick? Like, is he more a hero in his own right, who just so happens to be being trained a lot by his dad? Yes. Or is he just like a legit superhero kind mm-hmm. of in training still? Yeah, so he he helps out the Guardians of the Globe a lot, and I would kind of classify them as Teen Titans. Okay. Uh, because he is being trained by Omni-Man, but they don't really put that out into the world because they have their own personal relationship, and, you know, personal relationships as a superhero suck. Yeah. So they don't want to have that out in the world, and uh, so that he does, he's technically not part of that team, but it just helps them out a lot. Okay, so he like he can freelance for the government, basically. Yeah, he's basically a freelancer because of just how powerful he is. Okay, but there so are moments where he gets himself in trouble, and then the Guardians of Globe helps him, and then vice versa. All right, so you said they don't want to reveal their relationship to the world, so this is one of those superhero worlds where secret identities are a thing pretty yeah. widely. And okay, yeah, okay, so that's like you know par for the course for those kind of things, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So. Jumping back a little bit uh, to the supporting cast here, he said a lot of the show revolves around uh, like him and his girlfriend and finding that work-life balance, basically. I'm just wondering mm-hmm. how, how cringy is the teen stuff in this show? Because sometimes teen stuff can get very groan-inducing. I mean, this is the one gripe people have with the show, is that they really hate his girlfriend. Like, they don't like Mark, because they find her a bit too whiny, narcissistic, uh, narcissistic, and kind of just like, oh, why aren't you doing this for me? And there's even, ah, that's a spoiler. Uh, Like, why aren't you, why aren't you paying attention to me? And, you know, Mark's doing his best. You know, you can't live a normal life and a superhero life. We see it all the time. I mean, the most famous one is probably Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And it's just a tough one to deal with. But she just overly complains a lot. And I think pe- what people are mad about that is that it's so different from the comic books, where it's kind of moved up to a max here. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. But for the other teenage stuff, it's honestly not focused on that much. Uh, there's a couple episodes where he's in high school, but most of the focus is on his superhero life. Like, there's no, oh, he missed the test, or he he failed an exam for that. There's There's none of that. It's just, there's some interaction scenes during... The, the high school, but uh, other than that, not, nothing really cringy. Yeah. So that leads me into another question here, is that as far as you can gather, is this a good adaptation of the Robert Kirkman comic? Because you said there's a lot of variation for this one character specifically. How, mm-hmm. how many liberties did they take otherwise? Uh, from not knowing the comics whatsoever, I would say it's probably nearly a one for one uh just because i've seen side panels of what happens in the show and in the comic book and how they almost ripped the actual photo from the comic book right and yeah just from what i've heard it's you know it's almost 
a one-for-one. One. I think they took maybe a few liberties. I think they changed... This might be wrong, but I think they changed the race of the girlfriend, which is not that big a deal. Mm -hmm. uh, I could be wrong, though, but... Um, and that, it's honestly not that big a deal in the show, either. I honestly don't know why I brought it up, but that's really the only change that I can think of. Yeah. And well, from what I've heard from comic book fans, they are happy about it, and they're excited to see, because I've heard in the next volumes, it just gets crazier and crazier. Yeah, there's, what, three volumes of Invincible, I want to say? Yeah. So did this season adapt or something like that? So did this season adapt volume one or just a part of it? I believe part of volume one. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of material for going. It's either a part. Here. It's either a part of volume one or all of volume one. I'm going to. I want to say. I'm not confident with the whole volume, so I'm just going to say part of it. Even that, even if it did all the whole volume, that's at least two or three seasons mm -hmm. more. Yeah. I mean, it feels so, like a whole of a volume, but I I don't want to I don't want to put like my foot down and be like this is a whole volume. So yeah, that's you know I I assume it has to be decently faithful because you said Robert Kirkman is a producer, which yeah I feel like sometimes they just throw out people's names as producer so that people like us look at it mm -hmm. and see that it looks legitimate. Because I mean. You know, James Cameron has been a producer on all the Terminator movies since his, but look at that, right? Yeah. That count, what's that I really mean, it's a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. I assume people are happy about it, so. Yeah. Oh, I apologize. He's an executive producer and a creator of the show, so. Oh, okay. Not but, just a producer. But did he have anything to do with it, really? Yes. <laughs> executive yes. producer and creators. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that answers that. So, how do they create stakes in this show if he's actually invulnerable? That's a spoiler. Spoiler, okay. <laughs> uh, however, I will say, yes, he is invincible, unless there is someone who is just as strong as him or stronger in than him going up against him. He is, yes, he's put into situations where he gets out of them very easily, but there are, there's parts where he's been overwhelmed just by sheer numbers of what he's battling. Okay. There's parts where there's this gladiator type person who I love and I can't wait to, he only showed up in one episode, but I can't wait to see him in the next season, hopefully. Uh, and he, he goes toe to toe with him and it's one of the bloodiest things in the show. So yes, he is invincible to probably me or you and to probably a low tier supervillain or superhero but if it's someone on par with him or someone above him he's going to get his ass kicked just based off of experience alone it'd be like i mean you could say it's like Zack snyder's man of steel where yeah superman was the top of his game but he wasn't really proficient in any fighting skills yeah the other kryptonians were let's face it beating the shit out of him and smallville and destroyed that u-haul truck and the Sears. military yeah. <laughs> and the military uh so yeah that's that's basically it so there's there's stakes in that where yes he's invincible but when you see and how they show it is it's not like oh he can yes he can dish uh punches back but as soon as he gets hit from those people who are as strong or stronger than him it really fucks him up because he doesn't, he hasn't, he doesn't, he's not used to taking that. He's not, he doesn't have a Because he's not tolerance. proficient in it. Yeah. So besides facing people who are just of a higher skill level, does he have any known weaknesses, like a, like a kryptonite or anything, anything other than uh, just superpower that can take him down that we know of? Or I mean, his empathy. <laughs> he's very empathetic. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Towards people, he cares a lot about people. It's not a spoiler, but it could allude to one. Uh, so he's one of those suckers. And I would just say, in. also, I also just say his. Um, you're sounding like your D and D character yeah. now. He, <laughs> he's sounding like. Uh, I would say one of his biggest weaknesses is just his lack of experience. I mean, his very first fight, he throws one guy through ten buildings, and he causes so much property damage. But in this world, on this version of Earth. I feel like insurance is not a thing, and they just fix it. 
Because <laughs> so much shit gets blown up in this show, they're like, eh, we'll deal with it. Right. One of my favorite concepts in comic book history is damage control in, in Marvel yeah. comics, because that, that's just a clever idea, just this whole company set up to fix the problems. There was actually a mm-hmm. DC show with a very similar idea about that. I don't remember what it was called now. It was called, like, Powerless or something like that, where it was, like, a superhero, oh, I, yeah. like a superhero insurance company. And I think Adam West was on that show, too. It didn't last yeah. longer than a season, but... That would be such a stressful job. You, like, you just clean up New York City, and then you see a portal open up, like, fuck me! It's the sequel already? Well, yeah, really. And you're just kind of like, well, we're getting up early tomorrow. Yep. Duck and cover, write it all down. But they must be making bank, if you think about it. Well, I'm sure. In the world like that? Actually, people say insurance is good. Well, look what happened with uh, the Vulture in Homecoming. Insurance made him a villain. <laughs> or not insurance, but government contracts made him a villain. <laughs> it took the jobs away from the hard work in New York or just trying to clean up alien tech. Honestly, he could probably sue because he bought contracts, didn't he? Or did he not buy contracts? I don't I can't remember. remember. I think he was just a city worker going in to clean up the alien tech. And like, yeah. it, or he was a guy who was supposed to do it. And then, and then the, he just was like, he didn't, yeah. And then damage control came in and was like, nope, we're taking control of this under, uh, under the guise of Mr. Stark. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. rich billionaire, independent, screwed me out of yeah. my job. Because I remember he bought trucks for it. He said that. He was like, I could lose my house for this. He but invested a lot. If he did buy it, a yeah. contract, if he did buy a contract, he's got a case. That's all I can say. <laughs> I took law once in high school. <laughs> Right, counterpoint, he has a case, but then he's got to fight the money of Tony Stark. In I mean, that's what I mean. In a years-long court <laughs> battle. So yeah, he might win, but he'd be bankrupt either way. <laughs> yeah, the only thing he'd get out of is probably like two bucks because of all the money he'd have to pay to his lawyers. Yeah. So Our justice system is not rigged. <laughs> anyway. It's really just, it's like, yes, yes, you might win, but can you outlast the people with money? who can pay really good lawyers to keep the trial going until you run out of money? That's the trick. No. It's not, it's not who's in the right. The law usually ends up on the right side, but it's... Yeah. How, long, how fast can it we kinda get reminds me. It kind of reminds me of the... You know that staircase killer or whatever it was? Uh, like the, the guy who went to jail for, quote-unquote, murdering his wife by pushing her down the stairs? I think I've heard about that case, yeah. Yeah, so he talks about in that documentary, it's a really long documentary, it's like 13 hours, uh, but it's 13 episodes. But he talks about, because he's rich, he's like, man, like, one paycheck for him was like $780,000. A year's wage. Which is, yeah. Like seven years, years wage. Wa- sorry, seven years wages for a decent paying job. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he's like, man, how do people, like, not better off who aren't guilty? Like, how many people are incarcerated who aren't guilty just because they couldn't afford the, uh, the bill? Yep. And that really puts into perspective on how not fair some of the justice system is. But that's a wild case, and, you know, who knows? Like, did he kill his wife? Did he not? He's out now. Who cares? I don't think he did, but that could have been the documentary swaying me. <laughs> That's true. I mean, no documentary is biased. I mean, we as filmmakers still have to decide what to show yeah. and when to show it. It just, it, it was just, it, it's really, it's, it's a strange case. That's all I have to say. Because, like, yeah, he was alone at home with his wife, but the way the government uh, sued him and tried to collect evidence was this really weird and illegal way of... Uh, I see. Just like, just not the right way to accuse someone of murder. And the only way he got out now is he said he pled guilty to something, but not guilty of murdering her. It's something like guilty by fault or something like that. And he was able to okay. get out based on time. It's just weird loophole. So they cut him he's like, deal. as long as I, yeah, he's like, as long as I don't say I'm guilty of murdering my wife, it's just like guilt. Ugh, I'd have to look it up, but I don't really care. I see. But what's your so next they, question? <laughs> so they kind of screwed him to get in jail, and then he had to get a loophole to get out. Yeah. 
Uh, speaking of, okay, this is a whatever. Speaking of like gory murders and whatnot, mm-hmm. how is are the action scenes in uh, bloody? Yeah, bloody, bloody and terrific. All right. I mean, it's just one of those, and it's not, and it's animated too. So for those people who say it's overly violent, it's like it's animated blood. Grow up, like you're fine. It's not meant for children anyway. There's so many f bombs. There's so many mm. um, sexual innuendos. It's definitely one of those animated shows that is for adults, just yeah. like the comic book was. And I don't think it's over the top. I think it hits it right on the money of what would happen if Superman punched me in the gut. Oh, it'd probably go right through me. So, deal with it. Yeah, well, that that makes sense, I suppose. So it's... uh... I just, like, I just, I hate when, and I hated this growing up, too, especially around, since the new one, it's kind of relevant, since the new Mortal Kombat just got announced, where a lot of parents love to complain that their children are being poisoned with all this violent video games or violent TV shows or violent movies. And if their kid does something bad, then they blame it on the violent movies or the violent blah, 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 blah. It's not the video game or the movie or the TV show's fault. It's the specific child that's the fault of. And it's not your fault, I'm saying, parents. Sometimes people's brain chemistry is so fucked up upon birth that there's really nothing you can do with it. When you have a child, it's really a roll of the dice. And I really get sick and tired of people blaming physical or virtual media because it's just art. We're all here to explore art, have fun with it. And also, if you don't want your child to play it or watch that thing, then they don't have to. We don't care. There's millions of other people. Yeah. But you're not going to stop other people from having a good time. Most cases of actual violence are caused by severe mental illness on the part of the people. Mm. And if anything, video games and violent things are nearly a cathartic release. They don't like if if you're playing, if you're too busy killing people in a Call of Duty lobby. Well, good. You're not killing them in real life. If you're watching Invincible yeah. and reveling in the gore. You're not out there doing worse things in real life. And I'll be honest, in my youth, I had to take a break from GTA because it was affecting me. But that was around the time where I was young enough to just be able to do that all day, every day. Yeah. I was like, man, this is changing me. I don't know. (laughs) You just had to take a break. But I was able to do that. And some people aren't. And that's also fine. Not to say media doesn't have an effect. Stop blaming. But... (laughs) It's not stop the blaming cause. Rockstar in general. <laughs> just stop blaming video games in general. I'm sick of it. Or just any violent entertainment. Mm. Unless the entertainment is like specifically targeted at children and preaching violence. Right. Like <laughs> or, Mortal Kombat is not preached to children. It's yeah. preached to like random people. And you're giving them more fuel to the fire. Like since Mortal Kombat 9. The fatalities, the fatalities have just been getting bloodier and bloodier. Mm-hmm. Like this new cinematic trailer, which they're calling Mortal Kombat 1, which is really interesting. It's probably the most bloody cinematic trailer I've ever seen from the Mortal Kombat franchise. And you're like, they just went full out. I saw this really funny video the other week by Viva La Dirt League. And they did, um, it was basically child controls on video games where you can turn the blood off. Oh, no. Yes. And and what uh, and what the sketch was about was that these kids are playing as their characters and every time they attack somebody like they they slash a guy with something and like flowers come out and then he mm-hmm. just kind of falls down like ha the flowers are calling out yeah. of him that's so cute but the NPC is meanwhile witnessing this mass murder from his point of view just blood and guts everywhere but these kids are like happily and nearly sociopathically like dancing around the bodies and flowers because they're like, ah, this is so fun. It reminds me of that Freddy W video where it's the flower warfare. And that's because he wasn't able to use blood hits in his uh, YouTube videos because it would get flagged. So it's like, oh, what looks red? I guess rose petals. And then all we can use the muzzle flash as sunflowers. So it just kind of turned into that and it turned into this really like viral video. 
I don't remember seeing that one, but I did watch some Freddy W back in the day. He's one of the first classic YouTube. Well, didn't he actually pivot into a a job in Hollywood as a as a VFX artist? Uh, I believe so. I think Rocket Jump is a VFX house now. Yeah, because he was really good, especially for the internet mm-hmm. at that time. Like, what oh, do you yeah. mean a, like a guy at home can just do this? Mm-hmm. Like, make cinematic special effects just from home because him, Freddie W, and Brandon, and also Quarter Digital were the first. Um, kind of independent companies to just go full digital around that time. Right. Where digital was really becoming brand new and only being used by people like, say, George Lucas, because uh, he also saw it coming up. Yeah. Um, he, they were the first two people to, or first few people to be like, nah, this is definitely the future of visual effects, and we're just going to go full out with it. Cool. So YouTube act- history. <laughs> yeah. So the action scenes are pretty gory, but you think it's an appropriate level of gore for super beings kicking, oh, yeah. the, a- kicking the crap out of oh, each yeah. other. I mean, does it go over the top? Yeah, but you enjoy it. Sounds like it goes even. Awesome uh, it is. Sounds like it goes even more hardcore than Zack Snyder movies. People say those are dark for how they represent uh, superheroes yeah. fighting. Yeah, definitely. And I'm like. Okay, yeah, but it sounds to me this is a lot more graphic than Superman versus Zod, you know? Yes. Which it sounds like the next comparable thing in terms of just scale and of, of violence mm-hmm. and destruction. Uh, the Doomsday fight was a little bit gory, too. Like, yeah, it had its moments, and I think Zack Snyder's Justice League was rated R, but this sounds a lot more hardcore even than those. Mm. Which... Hey, I guess that's a warning to you people who are put off by uh, by gore. But I saw uh, a clip from really the Snyder Cut again. Like a clip showed up on my feed of Superman's entrance when he meets Steppenwolf in the Snyder Cut. He just goes not impressed. On every, it gives me chills every time. Anyway. He gave Steppenwolf the chills too right after that. Ha <laughs> ha. He's frostback. Yeah. He's like, my axe. Why would you do that? <laughs> All right, so you said the animation is comparatively low budget from your mm-hmm. uh from your estimation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny I say that because it's not super distracting. It's used well for the budget that they have. But if you were to go by like frame by frame of especially uh certain important episode 1, uh Quarter Digital talked about this a lot when they actually reviewed it where there's this guy who runs super fast. He's the Flash. And basically, the way they make him uh, move really fast, it's just like a red smear across the screen. And for a guy who's not in the show that much, that's perfectly fine. And uh, they talk about this in uh, Animation Studios, is just knowing when to use your pencil mileage. Mm -hmm. And when you... Is this one moment in this one scene really that significant where we need the character to react in a certain way or could we just use like one frame drawing and then move on and then use our pencil mileage to close out the show in this amazing way so i think you can really tell from the first few episodes but then as it's going more and more throughout the rest of the show you can't really tell because they know how to use their pencil mileage so you keep mentioning pencil mileage which is a term i've never heard before let me just take a guess here so pencil mileage is like you know, just make how lemons. many drawings, how make many lemonade out of lemons, the, whatever. Yeah. Okay. You it's only got a certain yeah. amount of time to. It's like do this, saying so just... you were doing. It's like saying you're doing a, a visual effects shot, right? Yeah. And it's it's that one thing that you want to fix. Like the lighting's a little bit off, but it's only in two. It's like point two seconds of a frame. Are people really going to see it in motion? Probably not. So, but we really need you to do this visual effects shot of this giant fucking ship that's coming in from the planet, and we need smoke effects, and we need atmosphere, and we need uh, all of that. We want you to work on that a bit more. So, that's basically what pencil mileage is uh, when it's talking about drawings. How many drawings do you want in the frame? Because that's what animation is. It's, that's honestly what film is. If you're watching a film, it's either, it, well, nowadays, it's 30 frames a second, which is just a bunch of pictures stacked up against each other. And that's what basically animation is. Yep. Where uh, in some 
fight scenes, you can see um, Mark uh, Invincible going for a punch, and you can tell they're just tilting the image a little bit, but in other scenes, it's like bam, bam, bam. But I would say he's kind of animated on... I think he's animated on twos, which means every other frame they change the... Uh, they they do add a different drawing where if he was animated on ones it'd be like twenty four pictures would be would be yeah. drawn where instead it's twelve which is what they used at the beginning of Spider Verse with Miles Morales they animated him on twos so he looked a little bit um, slower and rugged compared to the other Spider Man who was animated on ones and then as throughout the film and especially one scene he gets more in sync with the other Spider Man and becomes more fluid making you subconsciously think he's now becoming a better Spider Man. No wonder it's a subtle way that works, but yeah. No, no wonder that movie won an Oscar. It's really... Mm-hmm. I'm so realized. the second one. Oh, me too. We're reviewing that next for sure. Oh, yeah, baby. Look out for that one. It's so good. And you can tell. I, I knew it from the beginning, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is doing it. Puss in Boots did it. People are going to steal that animation style for the next 10 years. They're, well, just, just they're, like... they're going to do it. Which is funny because that means they didn't learn the right lessons, right? When it comes to everyone stole the Pixar look because that was the best look at the time. Sure. Right. And now Spider-Verse is the new cool look in town. So everyone's mm-hmm. aping that look. It's like, but you didn't, you didn't learn the lesson. Spider-Verse was successful because it dared to do something different than the mainstream. And yeah, it's a great style. Use it all you want if you actually enjoy that. But would it kill you to be more innovative? Animators? Maybe don't. Well, I don't want to blame the animators. It's the producers who were like, that looks like money. I would say the, mo- the Last Wish, though, did do something different. The Puss in Boots movie. Right. It went, like, super hardcore. Right. I, I didn't watch that one, but I did hear it was a lot better than it had any right to be. Yeah. <laughs> the long it's delayed, so weird. The long-delayed Puss in Boots sequel. I was never really into Shrek as a kid, so I never had <gasps> much in... You know, inclination Joe, to watch the as Puss a two thousands child. You cannot say you weren't into Shrek. <laughs> I watched the first two at the time, and I remember the hype around them. But it was never, never gelled with me. Even back then, like I know it's stubborn. A, you were stubborn as a child as well. Yeah, I was a contrarian even back then. I know it was a, a thing. <laughs> what about All Star Joe? You don't blast it in the club. Oh, hey no. now. You're not, oh, gonna get flagged. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, cr- I cringe every time I hear that song. Hey, now. It's so, like, grown that's the song I 2000s. Don't, that's the song I don't cringe to, but the 2000s song I do cringe to is I Got a Feeling. Oh, no. I hate that song so much. I can't it tell you so how, many, how many times have I heard that song in my life. If I, every time it comes on and like, if I'm at a bar in a club and everyone freaks out, I'm the guy there that's just like, <laughs> I just drop. See, I think I got sick of it when in the early 2010s, I used to go to dances in my town all the time. And most of the music mm-hmm. they play was late 2000s pop. And then like, this is, and then in late high school at the dances there, like prom and whatever, they were still playing those same songs. And then I like went to a couple of clubs. They still played those same songs. And I'm like, okay, these songs were like five years old when I first started going to dances, but this is still, mm-hmm. this is still the pop music they use. Okay. And they're like, already can, iconic. <laughs> I'm like, can music just, you know, get something new to dance to? I've been, I've been dancing to the same song for 10 years. I mean, anyway. they tried with, with dubstep. Do you know where you were when you first listened to dubstep? Cause I do. What a no. cultural shift. <laughs> uh, the closest thing I can think of is like hearing Daft Punk in uh, Tron Legacy. Yeah. was probably right. my first experience with that kind of electronic. No, I remember listening to the music video on YouTube with a bunch of buddies and just me listening to being like, this is garbage. <laughs> and then it was a thing for like 10 years and then it finally went away. Good. Anyway, back to Invincible. Bangerang! Anyway. Which we're kind of talking about tangentially. Cultural issues mm-hmm. brought up by Invincible. How was the soundtrack? Fine, I'll tie that back in. Speaking about music. Oh, Any it's music? It's been a while since I watched it. Good score. It's more, good soundtrack. It's more score heavy than like soundtrack heavy. And from what I remember, the score is good. 
I don't, it's not bad, but I don't think it's, uh, not overly distracting. I it think, I think it, uh, fits the tone well, but it's not one of those things where I would look it up on Spotify and be like, Ooh, the invincible score. I remember that. Gotcha. I don't, I, it's not, it's weird. I don't want to dog on it, but I don't really remember it that well. Maybe I wasn't uh, paying attention. I'm not really a music guy that much myself. Sometimes when a score is really awesome, I'll, I'll kind of take note and be like, oh, wow, wow, okay. I have to mentally acknowledge this is good. And I'll acknowledge a it's good no, sound. Uh, it's no your turn to roll. Hmm. Oh, okay. I I'm can't like, stop I'm like, talking what? about that fucking like, show. What? <laughs> like, what is the reference here? Okay, and then it was that. Dude, I had a week of being like, okay, I'm over Critical Role. Not over in the sense <laughs> I don't like him anymore, but like, okay, it's, I you can get over it. the hype with them. And then one video popped up on my feed. And now it's every other video. I'm like, fuck. Have you it. watched have you watched the Legend of Ox Machina theme with your turn to roll lyrics on top of it? Yes. Because they very so clearly cool. design that Mm-mm. animation with the lyrics in mind and then just took them out. Because it's like describing what's happening in the Yeah. I love the lyrical video. There's also a video I have to show you it, but when they played at a live show, the whole audience sang it. It was really cool. Yeah. It's a catchy song. You can see, and everyone, and all the comments are like, oh, Sam must love this, because Sam helped write it and composed it. Yeah, and then they all sang it, which is Mm -hmm. amazing. All right, so let's get into the real, let's get into the real uh, meaty questions now, now that we're approaching the end, I think. So, what sets this world apart from other superhero worlds? What sets this world apart is the two, I believe, is the two main characters. It is the father and the son. They are both uh, these Superman-like beings, but both have two very different ideologies because of where they come from. And it's these ideologies that affect the world that's around them and their personal relationship near the end of the show, but also just the entire world in itself where it can be very campy and it can be very silly with some of the superheroes that are there where there's this one superhero she's this little girl and you're like oh who is she like she's literally nobody and she turns into this hulk-like creature she's Hmm. called monster girl i told you before a character's name is rexplode you know and there's these very silly Oh, I will say, Mark Hamill is in the show, and do you know what his character is? He is a tailor for superhero costumes. Nice. It's really funny to me. I don't know why, but I find that hilarious. Did you laugh at that same joke in She-Hulk? Is he in She-Hulk? She had a tailor as well. Oh, right. No, I don't care. It wasn't Mark Hamill. Uh, anyway. Uh, but that makes sense. They must be rich. Anyway. But I just think what sets this world apart is... It allows itself to be silly with some of the characters that it produces, but treats them so serious at the same time, where there are, there's this, um, this villain twins who are, they are twins, they're called the Mahler twins, and they are both voiced by, uh, Kevin Michael Richardson, and their whole shtick is, you're the clone, no, I, I'm the original. No, I'm, I was the original, and that's their little, their little banter with each other throughout the entire show, and it gets really funny when yeah. you see the reveal later. And it allows itself to be really silly, but accept those silly moments and treat it as, this is our world, it's silly, and, but we're also allowed to have serious moments with these silly characters. I mean, I won't even say who it was, but there's this... There's this one person who gets cheated on because he's having sex with a character who can duplicate herself. And okay. that's that's basically it. That's I get yeah. That's, that's the joke, but they're like they're not like, "Oh, you silly guy." It's like, "What the fuck you cheated on me?" So there's the there's that small example. Mm-hmm. So it allows itself to be silly but take it in a serious tone, and I think that's the perfect blend from both Marvel and DC, where DC was very heavy-toned in a lot of their movies, and Marvel, yes, it had Mar- Marvel had seri- um, serious moments, but it was mostly more campy, fun, uh, fun time, where this is a perfect mix of both, with a strong splash of violence. 
And that's why I think it helps it stand out from the other superhero stuff, because it allows itself to be over the top, but also grounded at the same time. Yeah, so that was that was my other question here, is what to do better than other comic book adaptations? Mm-hmm. I think you, you pretty well answered that. Uh, all right, so that's all the questions I've got for today. Anyway. Oh. Um, yeah, so you, uh, you made some really interesting And if you're still here. not convinced, J.K. Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very... Voice acting. Enticing uh, thing there, yeah. So what I, I liked... Just some cliff notes of my favorite points Stephen here. Stephen Yoon as the main guy. <laughs> the elevator pitch of Spider-Man is Spider-Man with Superman. Mm-hmm. I just, I, you know, big fan of both those characters. And I, I get that vibe very clearly in my head. He's the, the powers of Superman, but also the, with great power comes great responsibility, dealing with the teenage angst and not really knowing where he fits in, trying to find his place in this world sort of thing so you get so you get both things kind of there but he's also got like he's the invincible side of superman but with the like the uh the good morality of him as well um so i get that a lot of the appeal is the violent take on superheroes not necessarily my favorite take on it i tend to go for the more uh the more campy stuff Myself, mm-hmm. if I had to pick, you know, I really like Silver and Bronze Age kind of stories. Comic book fans know how those stories can get uh, very bonkers. But um, I don't mind the odd violent take on superheroes. I mean, I like the Zack Snyder movies. Obviously, we've done whole episodes on those. Go and watch them where we defend his take on the DC characters. Uh, I really like the idea of this super secret superhero group, the Guardians of the Globe. Um, once again, I've seen other groups similar to them from the sounds of things, S.H.I.E.L.D., Argus, but yeah, they sound a little bit more wide-reaching and even more cooperative with the superheroes themselves, so that sounds, it sounds like an interesting dynamic, the go-between with the government, uh, and I'd like to see what they do. Uh, I don't know if there's a story about them, but it seems interesting uh you can paint you painted a compelling vision of the show's world this guardians of the globe that you know that's the the center point um i i liked that one mental image you you gave me of like oh he's got to escort astronauts to a different planet like to mars or something I'm like oh that's that's a really cool use of just general super heroics or just the way that he's got to deal with other friends of his who have powers and uh sometimes it's taken seriously other times it's it's not but it all feels grounded within their own reality and tonally consistent you know it's got comedy it's got drama it's got a good father-son relationship competing ideologies sounds like a really interesting family and like how the family is the bedrock of it so it sounds like an interesting family coming of age story with superhero spice thrown in there um, still not totally convinced it's anything ridiculously groundbreaking or, you know, that it does anything that differently from what I've seen before, but I'll just, you know, I'm intrigued and I'll have to watch it to see if it subverts my expectations more than I think it will. But it sounds like whatever cliche things it does take from, it puts its own spin on them and does it pretty well. So, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. I was already going to give it a shot, but you kind of put some things more into perspective for me now, and, well, we'll see if you give it a shot. Hopefully, Ryan convinced you of something or other. Basically, the draw of the show is that, yes, it's a superhero show, but it's really violent, and that's what draws you in. But what makes you stay is the characters, man. Yeah. The characters and the relationship with each other, especially the two main characters. It's so well-written. So well produced, so well acted, just mwah, just like a a benchmark of, uh, I think of superhero relationships. It's it's up there for me. All right, so we'll probably return new Invincible on this show whenever season two comes out. Hopefully, I'll have watched season one by then, and um, 
We'll There's only that. eight episodes. Yeah, yeah. So we'll uh, we'll do a recap of that and uh, review season two. Anyway, That's a whole yeah. Disney Plus show, Joe. You can do that. Uh, doing that is a lot harder to stomach nowadays on Disney Plus, but uh, Invincible I can get through. I think. Uh. <laughs> All right. So you want to plug your socials, or do you got any more thoughts to throw out there before the end? Um. Really love how in the season two trailer, they basically allude to the fact they're like, we're making it. We don't know when it's coming out, but when it is, it's awesome. <laughs> That's basically right. what they said, because they know people want it. But again, animation takes a while uh, to to do. And yeah, yeah. obviously they want it, make it perfect for fans. And I feel like a lot of studios or a lot of production companies need to not be afraid to do that. Where, and of course, you need to have a fixed schedule in order to make back the returns on what you produced. Yeah, yeah. But just a good, well plan ahead, just to be like, hey, we're not ready to, in terms of story, to produce this yet. And I think more productions need to not be afraid to say that because, not giving examples, look what's happened in the last few years a lot of mediocre stuff. But I digress. Anyway, you can find me at Ryan Walker Official on TikTok, Instagram, and on YouTube. Right now, we are streaming Jedi Survivor. So far, it's great. Nice. It's really well done. Nice, smooth combat is so refined. I can understand why it's so high in reviews now. So for reviews on all the mediocre stuff Ryan mentioned just a few moments ago, look at all our previous I episodes. I No. Uh, all previous episodes of Close Up with Ryan and Joe for most of that stuff. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Thought Play Media, and check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us in audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Also, go to Thought Play Media on Facebook and like our trailer for a blue star part. The more of you that like it, better chance we have to get into film festivals, so... Please do that for us. It would be a huge help. Really much appreciate that. And we hope to see you on the next Close Up with Ryan and Joe, where we reminisce on Netflix's old Marvel shows. Till next time. See ya.